Welcome all to the Pro Football Radio Podcast. We are back with another episode, episode number 39, 39. the Big 39. This is your co-host, Jay Chima, with the pride and joy of Merrimack, New Hampshire. One, the Puma! Oh, yeah. How's it going, folks? Hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. I know I had a great one. Yeah? Hung out at the 603 with the folks. The sound helps. How's Papa and Mama Sola doing? They're doing good. They're yeah. doing good. They're uh, they're getting ready to they're starting to entertain the uh, inviter team. I mean, like really move into warp speed of uh, actually retiring down to South Carolina. What? Yeah. So they, uh, they're going to South Carolina. They're they're thinking about it. They, they Can we some, visit them down there? They got some things uh, in motion. Um, you know, my uh, my mom, dad, sis, and in theory, if everything goes according to plan, like maybe midsummer. Of uh, 2020, they'll be able to head down and go to their forever home, retire, well deserved. So we're, I think everything's gonna be paid off for them. So wow! Well, congratulations, Mama and Papa Silva. Yeah. That is some big, big news. Um, you do know we're gonna come down there and host a show from South Carolina. Oh yeah, we're be taking beach. We're taking we do a beach side. We're taking Pro Football Radio on the road, yeah. just like just like ESPN does. We're just like that, you know. It'll be great. Be great. <laughs> Recording live from Myrtle Beach, right? Yep. You know, the Panthers train in South Carolina. I think it's like an insurance issue. Oh, yeah? That's why they don't do it in the North Carolina. So, yeah, we'll take it on the road. Pick on the old folks. See how the yeah. new ho- new house is. Speaking of Panthers, you see they fired the head coach yeah, today, Ron Rivera? breaking news. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dave, uh, Dave Tepper pulled the plug. Yeah. Pulled the plug yeah. with four games left. Uh, they did it kind of in a classy way, I think. I mean, granted, the guy got you to three NFC South titles, brought you to your second Super Bowl in franchise history but uh you know dave tepper i mean the writing was on the wall uh as soon as he bought the team last year and tepper even said it himself in uh his uh his six minute interview on the the panthers website that you know he wanted to put a stamp on this on this franchise he wanted to be patient with the football team that's why he didn't do a whole lot of moves last year when he bought it but uh you know given how the season's played out you know it was kind of the right thing to move on uh, and start planning ahead for the future, and not try to go behind Ron Rivera's back with you know interviewing possible head coaches or reaching out to other teams to see if they can interview this guy at the end of the season. So uh, they did it as best they could in a classy way, and I think Riverboat Ron will wind up on his feet sooner rather yeah. than later. So yeah, he'll be fine. We'll get all into all that here shortly. We will, as always, do a little bullshit, and then we will get into the storylines that we had coming out of last week. Uh, storylines will include. Uh, my trip up to the Ohio State-Michigan game, uh, we'll get into the Patriots update. We'll talk about the Dolphins winning. We'll talk about who's going to win the NFC East, maybe nobody. Uh, and then finally, what was your last topic? Uh, so I had the who wants to win the NFC East and the Buffalo Bills. Oh, yes, yes. It's Buffalo oh, Bills. yes. Cool, cool. Lindsey and Alex will be proud. Uh, before that, dude, I just uh, came back from a road trip yeah, to Ohio. Yeah, went up to the big house. Yeah, I went up to the big house, man. I, uh, it's like 100,000 people? 112,000 people, man. That's like the... <sighs> That's like the largest in North America, right? Or it's yeah. got to be the, one of the tops, uh, right? Well, I, I think uh, they alternate back and forth between Penn State and Michigan. Um, I know Ohio State's around the 105,000 mark. Uh, Michigan's around the 111,000, 112,000 mark. And then Penn State's around 115,000. Yeah. Uh, there's some pretty big schools. There's some pretty big stadiums up in the Big Ten, man. It's pretty intense. Uh, but no, I had a great time, man. Went out to the folks uh, for Thanksgiving in Ohio. Drove from Connecticut to Ohio. It was uh, I, I absolutely... 
10-hour drive, man. And, and a lot of people a lot of people say Jesus as well. But I absolutely love I love driving, man. It's well, like, your car is like driving to the cloud. Dude, it's so it's so laid back. You just put on a podcast. You watch some games on your phone. Like, you just next thing you know, you're in Ohio. You know, it's mm-hmm. not that bad at all. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because you can tell it's starting to get Midwestern because as you leave Connecticut, you see normal people, right? And then around the middle part of Pennsylvania, you start seeing people without any teeth, right? Wow. And that's so when... you're driving to Western New York. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? And you, and <laughs> you start you start smelling meth. You know how meth has that really weird, like, metallic smell? No, Jay, I don't know meth has a metallic smell. You want to elaborate? (laughs) No people from work is listening. Go ahead. No, I used to work work in a very, very hood, hood area of Columbus, Ohio. I used to work at my dad's carryout store. Um, and you would have all kinds of people come in there, and you can smell meth. Meth has a very distinct it's like smell. Piss, it? I don't know how or to explain like when it. You make it. Yeah, it's like this. It's like this metallic smell that you just have coming off your body, and that's why you gotta like cook in these fucking labs, and obviously drench yourself when you come out. Right. Um, but yeah, you, you can smell that meth everywhere. You can see no teeth. Know, man. You kind of know can... a lot about meth. I don't know if I'm sitting doing some you know, poncho <laughs> or Breaking Bad. <laughs> Uh, but I tell you what, on this road trip, man, I, I realized something uh, about myself. And you know how, uh, and it just hit me all of a sudden. You know how they say, as you get older, you become like your dad, right? Or if you're if you're a chick, uh-huh. you get you become like your mom, right? And I remember, like, on this trip out, I I, I made it a point to not stop at at anything off of a highway. So if I wanted to stop somewhere to get gas or food, it would be on a rest area on the highway. Anything off of that. I could not bring myself to do, right? And I remember thinking back, I'm like, oh my God, I'm my fucking dad. Because when we were going on road trips as as kids with my parents, he would never come hell or high water, get off the freeway. He didn't want to waste time? He didn't want to waste time. Like, oh, he was God. so efficient. And I remember, I remember, I remember, I remember strictly. We have a schedule to keep kids ex- short! Exactly, right? I remember clearly, like, on these road trips, before we were even getting in the car, me and my brother would, like, get to, like, you know, before we leave, we gulp down a bunch of pop. Or once we get to a rest area, we get right. those big 32-ounce gulp, you know, fucking pops, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we would just take them all down immediately, right? <laughs> and next thing you know, we're like, fuck, we got to pee 20 minutes later. And we're back there like, can you pull over down? No, Jay. He's like, no. in the cup. He's like, no, the next rest stop is 68 miles away. Oh, my God. Like, fuck. So either your bladder is about to explode or you're filling the big gulp back up. Oh, yeah, dude. I thought about it, right? But on this <laughs> trip, I wrote to myself, clearly thinking, I don't want to stop. I, I, I don't want to stop and get off the fucking freeway. Because then like, you got to find a place. You got to go a mile down the road. Oh it, just seems very, it just seems very inefficient. Jay. So I just it just clicked. And I've been doing this for a while now. Um, and I think when we were in Buffalo, we didn't stop anywhere besides... We only got off the highway once. Yeah. By once, we got a thousand yards off the highway. Exactly, right? We got off the exit. Yeah. Giant truck stop. And I didn't even know I was doing it until like it just clicked because I was like, oh, I really got to pee. Because I woke up, the first thing I do in the morning, I wake up, I drink a bunch of water, right? Then I get my coffee. By the time you drink a bunch of water and you get your coffee, like your whole body's ready to fuck it. Exactly, right? And when you drink pee, when you, when you, I'm sorry, when you drink, drink, pee, when huh? you drink coffee, you pee <laughs> quite a bit. Unless I do, you know what I'm saying? It's sterile and I like the taste. So I remember, like, I got up, I was driving back, and, uh, you know, I, I was like, I really got to fucking pee, but I didn't pee for another 35 minutes because I was waiting for that fucking... Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Papachima. Seriously, Papa man. Chima. Trying to get to my fucking dad over here. All right, so you survived the 10-hour te- the drive. You found your rest stops. Okay, walk me through. What's game day like 
at the big house. You're going into enemy territory. I know you're wearing the scarlet and gray's outfit going on out there. What, yeah. what was what was enemy territory like? Dude, it was one of the most insane feelings of all time because you are essentially behind enemy lines, right? And I and it's hard to explain to non-college football fans or fans that aren't from a big university how how it is in different parts of the of the country when you go to these away games, right? Um, first things first, my brother made a mistake of buying tickets. Not in the designated Ohio State like section, but tickets that are being sold by season ticket holders from Michigan that oh, couldn't make shit. it, that couldn't make it to the fucking game, right? So we were in deep Michigan territory of the stadium. It's like a sea of blue, and then like one token red fucking guy, me fucking had to <laughs> had to shoes, right? And the worst thing was my brother bought tickets that were separate from each other, four rows apart. Just because he didn't look at him when he bought him, he was just like, all right, well, these are good enough. They're right. close to the field. They're not that expensive. Let's do it. And I was like, all right, cool, whatever. So we get there, and we're standing next to each other, and somebody's like, oh, that's my seat. We look at our tickets, and I'm like, fuck, we're in completely different oh, different no. rows. Yeah. But, no, it's, it's a great feeling, man. And, like, you know, at the as the game progressed, man, like, there was, there was some serious hate come out where people were throwing shit at me and my brother. Obviously, in a different section, but he was telling me later on. This one old lady actually put her hands on me and pushed me. Like, she was, like, Dude. she was, like, 75. She was covered in fucking maize blue. Right. She pushed me. Dude, like from the Bosch and Beckler era. Oh my god, dude. Like every, it took everything in my power, like not to deck this lady, right? I just had to constantly tell myself in the back of my mind, never hit a woman, Jay. Right. Never hit a woman. Um, but as the game progressed, these fans got quieter and quieter because it started out as a close game in the first it was, quarter. It, started out, it was yeah. a great, it was a great yep. drive. They yep. went down for they went down for six. They missed the extra point, yep. right? Yep. And then they and kind then, of kept Chase Young quiet. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and we'll get more into this as I break up the, break down the game here in a little bit. We're actually going to do some college football stuff here in a second. But but I think I think the one thing about this Ohio State team that's different than other Ohio State uh, teams is Ryan Day is a different caliber of coach. And you won't hear his name just yet because it's his first time at a big time job. But you will eventually in a couple of years. And what do I mean by that is. We had this weird way of losing games the last two or three years that we weren't supposed to lose. We would lose games such as Iowa, right, such as mm-hmm. Purdue, teams that we shouldn't be losing to. We, we would go undefeated, we'd lose one game, and it'd fuck up our whole season. And as I start to watch Ohio State now, Ryan Day has a completely different philosophy from, the, from those teams that Urban Meyer coached. Ryan Day has this philosophy of, all right, we're going to come out. We're going to see what we're doing in the first couple of drives, what's working and what's not working. We're going to see what their offense is doing for the first couple of drives. And then we're going to adjust on the fly, drive by drive, and, then, the and, then, and then put the fucking hammer down. And yeah. that's, that's what's happened every single game so far. They come out. They're not sluggish, but they're just kind of feeling you out. And the second quarter, we just fucking start annihilating people. The one thing about Urban Meyer, as great he is, as he is, and, and you know the guy is absolutely amazing. He's a Hall, hall of Famer and, and everything else. But I did realize his teams would come out with one big punch, and if that punch didn't land, then they had issues adjusting. Right, their hope was coming out, punch him in the mouth, punch him so hard in the first quarter that they want that the other team would just back off and go away. A lot of times, teams would still hang around in the second, third quarter, and then Urban couldn't adjust on the fly. But Ryan Day and what he's doing and just his approach, I am just blown away by how great of a coach he is already. And this is his first first year um, uh, as head coach. And and you can tell. I mean, the team is best in the country, right, uh, Ohio State. Um, our offense looks amazing. Our defense looks amazing. So I, I'm really excited about what's going to happen um, in the next uh, next few weeks, man. Yeah. Um, in regards to the game itself, man, so like, like I said – Justin Fields, he I think is a is a Heisman contender now. Um, he balled out with four touchdowns. 
Um, he will. He Marvel actually was right after a knee injury too, right? Yeah, he had that massive knee injury where we all kind of like held up breaths, and we thought that you know he's gonna go away for a while. We thought it was gonna be something serious, but he comes back and he has his Heisman moment, and he throws an absolute laser for a touchdown. And that was the as somebody put on Twitter that was a soul snatching touchdown Dude, because Michigan, Michigan doesn't learn. Yep. Like, what? Just stop. Like man to man coverage mm-hmm. has not worked the last how many times Harbaugh's played Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Like yep. and you keep like you keep getting burned and you wonder why you keep losing and you're losing big every time, bro. Yeah. And and it speaks to the bigger issue of just who Michigan has become, right? Michigan was thought of as one of those pillars of college football, one of those six programs along with Ohio State, Michigan, Texas, Bama, USC, Notre Dame, that and even Oklahoma that you know essentially were pillars. And if you were good, if these teams were good, it was good for college football. But as of lately, they have been a joke, right? Um, Urban Meyer is Owen. I'm sorry, uh, Jim Harbaugh is Owen five against Michigan. Um, in total, um, OSU is 17 and two in the last 19 meetings. That's not a rivalry anymore. No. That's just that's, well, that's just putting that's the hammer down, you know. Trying to survive off of the you know the Bo Schembechler days, you know. Like, Dude, it's funny that there's 20 year olds walking around Columbus right now that the only way of know that the only life they know is Ohio State destroying Michigan. Like that's all they know, and yeah. that's insane to me, you know. Um, I think Jim Harbaugh himself is a little bit of an overrated coach. I know he had a success for three years. Um, in in uh, in the NFL, but in in college football, dude, he he cannot develop talent. He cannot recruit talent. Um, it's been five years, and he can't beat Ohio State. I mean, I don't know, man. Like, and, and that's fine. Like, it's fine. I've heard a lot of excuse making for Michigan the last couple of days about how, oh, but listen, they're not that elite in a program. They're a good program, but not elite like a Bama or an Ohio State. And they were like, I don't, have, I don't buy that. Off of like, what, weren't they eighth yeah. in, the, in the country? Well, at one point, they were like five or four in the right. country as well, man. So, they, I mean, I'm not buying that bullshit of them not being an elite college program. And if that's the if that's the cool they want to drink, then that's fine. You can be a bum-ass program and just be, you know, you'll have nine, ten wins here. But if you want to get to the big boys, like yeah, I thought you were, then you got to start so fucking Harbaugh, performing. Does Harbaugh survive this? Does he does. He does because they have nobody else to go to. Okay. Michigan has nobody else to go to. Uh, and it's clear from their choices that they're not in the business of um, competing for national championships. They're fine with the 9-10 wins a year. And going to, like, the Gator Bowl? Yeah. I think they're okay. fine with that. I, I mean, I, I don't see any urgency to let them go. Right. You're 0-5. No other Michigan coach in the history of Michigan has started 0-5 against, against uh, Ohio State. And if Jim Harbaugh couldn't win this year against Ryan Day, dude, when are you going to win it? Right. Next year, you're in the horseshoe. There's no fucking way you're winning in the horseshoe next year with Justin Fields back for a second year. Like, how are you going to beat us then? Like, I just, there's there's no way that Michigan is going to get back to the glory days. Or I don't know when the next time they're going to beat Ohio State, truthfully. Right. And I know this is off the cuff, and we'll, we'll move on to the pros real quick. But you're say you're the AD of Michigan. Yeah. And you want to move on from Jim Harbaugh. Is there anybody out there that well, you, part would, of, like, you would tap? Part of the issue is they're so stupid in their belief uh, that Michigan believes they got to hire a Michigan man. Do you, have you heard that term before? Yeah. You want to hire a Michigan man, a man that's from Michigan, a man that's funny because Bo Schembler, he's, he's, was from Ohio State. He is Woody Hayes' assistant. Yeah. The best thing that Michigan ever had was from Ohio State. Now, if they were to get out of that mindset and hire somebody with some talent, I mean, I, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head, but I, I, truthfully, I'd go after Luke Fickle. I think you go after Luke Fickle, who would never go there because Luke Fickle is an Ohio State guy, but he's coaching at Cincinnati right now. Right. But he's got Cincinnati balling. Cincinnati has like one or two losses. Right. They're a top 20. 
Um, but he's a great young talent that uh, his name is being emerged in different circles. But besides, I mean, like, I, I really don't know who they go after, man. Like, they're so hell-bent on their way of hiring a Michigan man. Who else is out there as a Michigan coach right. that, you know what I'm saying? Like, Because, like, you got to keep the boosters happy, man. Like, you got to start putting some wins on the listen, board. there's some serious people. There's some serious wealth coming out of Michigan. Yep. Um, all these big, actually, I take it back. All these big universities, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Michigan. Boosters, listen, everybody's like got money. Everybody's out there making money and fucking sending money back. But I just, I don't understand how they're going to correct it, man. Like, this is, this was their year to win against Ohio State, and they did not show up one bit. Right. Dude, they, they showed up. So I will, I'll give them one credit. I think the one thing they did really well was they had a great game plan for Chase Young. They made it their mission. They shut him down. They made their mission to make sure that Chase Young was not going to wreck the game. And what they did was they would either chip him with a tight end or a back or move the pocket away from him. You would see Shea Patterson get the ball immediately and just start rolling to the right away from Chase Young and trying to sling it out downfield. Mm -hmm. But they made it a mission. But on the other end, I think Justin Fields is an absolute monster, man. I think this year, I think Joe Burrow has locked up the Heisman uh, Trophy. But I tell you what, man, like uh, next year, Justin Fields is coming, man. He's going to be he's gonna be vying for that number one pick overall with uh, the Clemson quarterback. What's his fucking uh, name? Justin, uh, Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence. But Trevor Lawrence and how he's taking a step back this year and how Justin Fields is ascending, I, I think next year you're going to have a very interesting case between who you want. And I, and I truthfully would we'll go with Justin Fields over – over Trevor Lawrence. Justin Fields doesn't have the accuracy just yet. We hope he develops some more next year. But running wise, uh, does, you can't beat you can't beat Justin Fields' legs. Right. So. They're all going to try to, you know, recreate the Lamar think Jackson of, model. Think, well, he's not as fast as Lamar Jackson, but think of Russell Wilson, but a little faster. Um, and the arm strength is there, but the accuracy just isn't there. He has some issues reading, um, reading defenses. Obviously, any college quarterback does in a spread formation. Um, he has some issues in setting his feet um, to the fucking receiver he wants to throw to. Just small stuff here that you got to clean up that I believe actually will come. But he has the talent, and I think I think some NFL teams going to be very lucky with him. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to go to the pros. We're going to go up for my first point. We're going to go up to Western New York. We're going to talk about those Buffalo Bills. Uh, Alex and uh, Alex and Lindsay are, you know, my friends from the 603. We met them up Great uh, people. up at the uh, the Buffalo game, Buffalo uh, versus Washington. And uh, the Bills, they're in the prime time slot, the 4 o'clock time frame on Thanksgiving, and they did not disappoint. Uh, I mean, this Bills defensive line, they absolutely mauled the Dallas Cowboys uh, for four sacks, an interception, and one fumble recovery. This was the Ed Oliver breakout game, the first-round pick out of the University of Houston. Uh, he had four sacks. Those four sacks were on him, and he had that forced fumble. Uh, and it was just – it was something to be had. Like, they, he was just breaking through this vaunted Cowboys offensive line, and they were really having a day, pinning their ears back. They shut down Ezekiel Elliott in the second half of the game. Uh, Josh Allen, the pride and joy of the University of Wyoming – uh, he went 19-24, 231 yards, a touchdown, 10 rushes for 43 yards, and a rushing touchdown as well, too. He was really smart with the ball, didn't have any turnovers, no fumbles. Well, technically, he had that fumble on that, that fourth and one where he dropped it. He fished it out of a pile of linemen and just ran through for three yards to get the first down. And, and as soon as I saw that, I was like, yep, Buffalo's here. They're here for – they're going to be – they're going to be playing for real in this game. This is not going to be an easy walkover, you know, walkthrough game for uh, for the Dallas Cowboys. And this, uh, I, I don't think the general manager, uh, Brandon Bean, and the head coach, Sean McDermott, 
get enough credit for the the product they put on the field. Yeah, last year it was it was a tough watch. Uh, they were trying to get their salary cap under control, uh, but I really liked uh, the the offseason moves they made. They you know they got uh, Cole Beasley from Dallas. They went with Smokey uh, Smokey John Brown to take the defense over the top, and and uh, they they really built this offense around Josh Allen to, to the strength of his game. And he's taking the easy money underneath with Cole Beasley now. And I think this is one of the more complete teams in the AFC. And, you know, call this a crazy scenario, but if Buffalo wins the, out the rest of the year and New England drops uh, their game to Kansas City, Buffalo could win this division. They could be AFC of course, East champions. Yeah. Yeah. And this defense is legit. The secondary is a ball hawking unit. And, you know, I really think this might be more sentimental, but you know, we, we drove through Buffalo when we came from, uh, from Niagara Falls, we drove through the area and it's a very blue collar yeah. kind of city. You mm -hmm. show up, you got, you, you got your metal lunch pail, you go in, you punch the clock, you break your, you know, you bust your balls, you break your ass working hard. And I think this team really represents the fans and the, the people that live in Buffalo really well. And uh, you know, I, I think, this is a really this could be a really dangerous team come playoff time. Mm -hmm. And Josh Allen is just continuing to show strides and he their their game against uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers in two weeks that got flexed into the eight o'clock time frame. America wants to see the Buffalo Bills uh in primetime again. And I think it's great for this team to get that kind of exposure. Nice, nice, bro. Uh, you're all you're all in on the Bills, huh? I mean, I was riding that bandwagon of them going to the playoffs uh, ever since uh, the, you know, the free agency window opened when they got John Brown and they got Cole Beasley. And, you know, we, this was on like freaking episode, what, 15? Yeah. And I was like, they're, they're going, they're making moves to be a playoff team. Yeah. I wasn't drinking the Kool-Aid like Mike Robinson of the NFL Network saying from the get-go that they were going to win the AFC East. But, I mean, the, the scenarios that could play out and over the last three weeks of NFL football where the craziness has happened, like anything that could happen did, it's not that far beyond the realm of possibility that these Buffalo Bills could win the AFC East and they could lock up a, you know, a top two seed in the well, AFC playoffs. Here's my thing with the Bills, and I'm not ready to buy into them just yet. I'm going to buy into them if they can beat the Ravens this weekend. Um, I think um, we need to look at, just because people say when they talk about the Patriots schedule, is they feast on a bad schedule. Well, the Bills have played the same exact schedule that we played, right, essentially because they're in our division. And we gotta we got to bring up the fact that they also feasted on a bad schedule with wins over the Jets, Giants, Bengals, Titans, Dolphins, Redskins, uh, Dolphins again, Broncos, and Cowboys. Like, all those teams are crap or middle of the pack. Well, all those teams besides the Titans and the Cowboys are middle of the pack. Who else is good in that I was just going to say, like, we're, we're really lumping Dallas in his crap. I mean, the record shows the crap, but the talent on the I, field is, is, is a Super Bowl caliber team. Well, I, I think they're crap. I mean, it's, uh, oh, well, the pack at, at the worst, right? The Titans and the Cowboys are the ones that stand out. But the rest of them, it's just crap. And the, and the three teams they lost to were, was it the, uh, the Packers, the Patriots, and who? Well, I just remember looking at the schedule and thinking, wait a minute, they've beaten a lot of crap teams. And they've lost to a lot of good teams. Now, if they win this weekend, sure, I can buy in. But as of right now, their wins are Jets, Giants, Bengals, Dolphins, Redskins, Dolphins, Broncos, Cowboys, Titans. I mean, come on. You got you got, you got to say right. something along the lines that. Josh Allen, the guy that was known as the pick machine going up 
you know, say what you want. The Denver defense might not be the no-fly zone anymore, but you got Chris Harris still ball-hawking around there. Yeah. Vaughn Millen, I think at the time, Brandon Chubb was still back there. This offensive line was still getting their groove in, and, you know, they were developing over the season, and this is a young team anchored by old man Frank Gore, and they're clicking just at the right time. And this defense, they shut down Zeke Elliott. They, they shut down Amari Cooper. Sure, sure. And uh, Michael Gallup over the top, too. You know, this is but but we can all but we it's, can all question just how good the Cowboys team is. We're not we cannot unequivocally say the Cowboys are a good team, right? We cannot say that. Well, record wise, yeah, I mean, they lost to the Jets. Come on, bro. They're they're they talent is there, but it takes a lot more talent. It takes a lot more than talent to be a good team, right? And, and as of right now, right. I don't see any good wins on that schedule for the Buffalo Bills. I would count the Cowboys as a good win. Maybe maybe the Titans is a good win, but other than that, there's nobody on that schedule I think right. is a good win. So if you but if you win this weekend, I will be more than happy. Right. Like, yeah, they're for real, you know. Well, I'll be drinking that Kool Aid, and we can debate as well too that the Buffalo Bills would have pulled off that win against the New England Patriots if Josh Allen didn't get knocked out of the game. But but he did, and they didn't. Right. You know I'm saying like well, I'm as of right saying, now, they don't have a win over, over the Patriots. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And even with Matt Barkley, they still took the New England Patriots to the limit at the end of the game. So yeah, the record they did lose to the Pats and a couple mm-hmm. other teams. But they played hard in most of those games, and especially against the number one defense in the NFL right now. So, yeah, you could play wait and see, but either way, they have, what, they have nine wins right now? Yeah. They get one more win and one other team loses. I think if Oakland loses, they secure a playoff berth. This team's going to the playoffs. Well, that's, and- not, that's not the question here. The question was, can they make noise in the playoffs? Because Absolutely. I, I think they're the one-and-done scenario. I think they get into the playoffs, they don't win a game, and they send they, they take their lunch pills home, you know what I'm saying? Because they haven't played anybody good so far. On- but they just mauled Dak Prescott and the, the Dallas Cowboy offensive line over the last three years has been top five. They absolutely just mauled them for four sacks. This defense is clicking at the right okay, time. Okay, I'll give you that Jermaine Cowboys win. Right, fine. Shutting down number one wide receivers. Fine, I can give you I, – I don't agree with you, but I'll give you that Cowboys win as a good win. But other than that, then who else is a good win on their schedule? I mean, you have the Finns on there, the Bengals, the Giants, the Jets. I mean, there's a lot of crap on that schedule. Um, and so we'll have to see. We'll have to see if they're if they're good or not. If they do beat the Ravens and the Patriots, I'd be more than happy. Like, yeah, sure, of course they're a good team. But if we're going to use the argument with the Patriots that they feast on a bad schedule, we got to also look at their schedule as well. Right. Well, you know? with the uh, you know week sixteen, it's a big game. It's a big game. And uh, I think that's I was saying it last week. That's going to be a trap game. So we'll see. All right. Uh, as always, my second storyline, second final storyline this week, uh, the Patriots update. As always, uh, we lost to the Texans twenty eight twenty two, and to be frank, it was a bad day at the office for the Patriots. Yeah. The uh, the box score doesn't does really not show does not indicate how bad of a blowout this was. Uh, obviously, the offense had another bad day, um, and simply put, Brady does not have any help around him. Um, his only reliable weapon is Julian Edelman, and I mean it when I say this. The Patriots wide receiver corp is probably the worst in the, in the NFL, and I don't know how to fix it anytime soon. One of the biggest things that's alarming for me is that Nikhil Harry is giving us nothing so far. I thought at this point in the season, he would be giving us some more um, and producing a little bit more than he is right now. And all the wide receivers, for some reason, don't seem to run routes with any urgency. The routes aren't crisp. They don't attack the ball. It's just bad on all fronts for Brady um, and his weapons. Uh, In regards to the offense, uh, in regards to the defense, they had a very bad day as well. They could not. Dude, they got torched torched pretty bad defense-wise. Stephon Gilmore didn't have a good day at all. (laughs) No. No, it was kind of surprising that he really didn't shadow DeAndre Hopkins a whole lot either. Like, 
I was kind of surprised. They they mm-hmm. kind of either played zone a little bit more. I, the only couple of times I saw him on uh, DeAndre Hopkins, yeah. he totally took him to school. I'm gonna pu- I'm gonna push back on the Nikhil Harry thing a little bit though. Yeah, because he's been on IR up until two weeks ago. That's fine. And he's a rookie, yeah. so you really can't do a whole lot to understand the playbook and keep. Well, it's not that. It's not pre- that. Preseason. It's not that. It's the. The urgency with how he runs his routes. Nikhil Harry and Jacoby Myers got an EL4 from Brady because they're not they're not attacking their routes like they're supposed to. They're not getting in and out of the cuts like they're supposed to. That's something you're not supposed to teach. I mean, you I guess you're supposed to learn a playbook, but you're not supposed to learn how to run the routes all over again. Like a lot of times, like both Myers and Nikhil Harry, um, like don't come back to the ball. They're not catching as crisp as they should. Like it's just not good wide receiver fundamentals when you when you watch them run the routes. You see what I'm saying here or not? Yeah, a little bit. I'm good. Like when, when, when that play, that interception, there's no way with Nikhil Harry and how big his body is, do you let the fucking defender in front of you. That's 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 what wide receiver one on one. I'm not a wide receiver, but even I fucking know that. You don't let the defender in front of you, especially if you have a big body. I get it if you're a small wide receiver. You know what I'm saying though? Yeah. Eh, yeah. Uh, and the, the big fucking uh, elephant in the room here, the whole Brady hate, right? Um, let's get this out there. In my personal opinion, Brady is playing at a very high, high level this year. Um, you can watch that game Sunday night and say, really? I think he was playing at a really high level. Really? You can watch that okay. game Sunday I'm night and say, back hard. You, can, you can't watch that game Sunday night and say he was a weak link of that offense. He had no help whatsoever. Dude, he was, he there is no speed. There though. is no speed on that offense. And if a lesser quarterback played for the Patriots, we will be looking at probably a, a 500 team right now, even with that defense. Brady on Sunday night, I thought he was moving better than he's ever in the pocket. There's times he's ducking and diving left and right and making absolute throw, laser throws down the field. Um, the I, I see no slowing down in his game. I just see the whole offense around him not being that good. Okay. I'm going to compare stats for two players. All right. Since week four, Tom Brady has 11 passing touchdowns. Six interceptions, 59.2 completion percentage, 80.3 passer rating, 6.2 yards per attempt. Player X, 10 passing touchdowns, 5 picks, 63.2 completion percentage, passer rating of 85.7, and yards per attempt is 6.3. Who is player X? Um. Well, I mean, I don't know. Who's Mitchell X? Trubisky. Yeah. He is putting up stats of Mitchell Trubisky right now since week eight. Mm-hmm. Some of this has to start going on Brady. Like he's he's been throwing a he- he's been throwing behind wide receivers. He's been air mailing it a few times. Granted, I will give you one of those bombs down the field. Edelman didn't even run the right route. That was on him. Nikhil harried that pick. Yeah, that was on him a little bit too. And Jacoby Myers. Is not the, none of these guys are getting separation, but Tom Brady's not doing a whole lot of favors either. He's See, I, the but ball. I don't understand how a lot of people can say that exact statement. A lot of the receivers weren't getting separation, but Brady sucks. Like I, I don't understand how but, those two statements work look, in tandem. Look, look at the wide receiver core that Mitch Trubisky has. I mean, Allen Robinson's the only one that's doing any work. Uh, short of Anthony Miller last week, and then you have Taylor Gabriel, the gadget play player, and per Pro Football Focus. The offensive line of the New England Patriots is light years better in both pass protection and run blocking than the Chicago Bears. And he's still putting up stats of Mitchell Trubisky since week four. Mm-hmm. So 
this is kind of playing out like a scenario that if the Pats, may, the Pats are going to go to the playoffs. It's whether or not it, how the scenario plays out if they win the division or if for some reason they end up as a wild card team. I think it's going to go the route of Peyton Manning, wherein he won the Super Bowl and relied more on the defense and hopefully this run game can get some signs of life and they can lean on that a little bit more. But Tom Brady's not playing really good. And you can call it Brady hate all you want. A lot of people up in the 603 can call it Brady hate all they want to. But the numbers don't lie. He's been playing bad for the last four weeks. And it's it's kind of it's troubling that we're going into the teeth of the season where they had Lamar Jackson, they they beat that they, they beat Dallas. They they went to uh, they went down to Houston. They played another good quarterback, another good offensive unit here, and now they have Kansas City rolling to town. This is the this isn't the part of the year where we could say oh they're just fine tuning their offense like that was like the first four weeks of the season when you're playing like you said with Buffalo crap teams. And this is this is a bad part of the year to start laying eggs as Tom Brady. They have yeah. to find some semblance of a run game, and this defense has to keep doing what they're doing in order to make it to the playoffs. So what? So what's the prediction? Is Brady washed up? Is he done? Does he go away now? I mean, because I've heard that quite a bit as well. Where it's like, hey, I think it's time for him to hang it I up think, here. Here's here's what I was I've been saying for Christ the last three months, and people have been railing on me on Twitter uh, with. I've been ranking it as this. I honestly think out of these three scenarios of either retirement, he goes somewhere else, or he signs up for one more year, I rank retirement as number one if he wins another Super Bowl this year, it, or he plays in a dip with a different team because he has been visibly frustrated all year long. And he should be. He and should I be. I haven't seen him this frustrated in, in a win like two weeks ago, yeah. like since I've been watching football, like since he's been playing since 2001, I have not seen that man that frustrated at a podium in a post press con in a press conference after the game with that they wanted, yeah. or he comes back, uh, but he's going to bend Robert Kraft over the barrel to get the the players that he wants, Kobe Bryant style, you know what I mean, and get paid the way he should be. But I wouldn't rule him leaving uh, out of the realm of possibility here. And listen, we can't predict what's going to happen in the future, but in the present moment, man, like you watch Brady and how he throws the football, it's not nowhere near as what Peyton Manning his last year was. That's just a false and hate-filled statement in my listen, mind. I'm not because Peyton Manning couldn't throw the ball. Peyton Manning couldn't throw the ball 15 yards down the field. Don't get it twisted. What I meant by winning Peyton Manning style, I'm not saying Tom Brady has a noodle arm. Don't get it twisted. That's I'm, what it sounded like. No, I said they're going to win the model that the Denver Broncos did. Mm -hmm. Peyton Manning wasn't doing his job anymore. We can agree on that. I was not questioning Tom Brady's arm. He was still so having So if you're set. not questioning his arm, then what, what are you questioning? Saying, what I'm saying is the model to win, if your quarterback is having issues with connecting with wide receivers, you have a shit run game right now. Yeah. You have to lean on the defense like the Denver Broncos did, and then they also have to find some semblance of a run game like what the Broncos did with C.J. Anderson and company to win the Super Bowl. So now you've said, I'm not questioning his arm. I'm not uh, his wide receiver getting separation. The running game is shit. So I what are you questioning then? What is so bad about Brady? He's got to hang it up. I wasn't he's questioning his arm strength. What I'm saying with Brady is, He's been underthrowing players. Yeah. He's been bouncing the ball with in player on players' routes. He's been overthrowing the players' routes. The players have been having busted routes as well too. 
So, yeah, the offensive unit as a whole has been bad. His arm strength isn't quite So then let's, let, then let's amend our statement cuts. of saying, well, yeah, he's had bad numbers, but the whole offense sucks as well. There's this, there's this aura out there right now that, oh, dude, that offense sucks, but it's all on Brady, and he's got to go ahead and walk away right now. Well, you have to put blame on Brady. Like if, if you I don't think here, so. I can you, sit here. I saw I watched that game here. Sunday night, and I saw a guy that can throw the football still down the field. I saw a guy that can move in the pocket as good as he's ever been. And all I can see is six seconds of protection with no fucking separation. Chris Collins with a national TV pointed out four or five different times that there are routes being run by these wide receivers. There's no separation one right. bit. But if you can sit here through 12, 13 weeks of football yeah. and say that he hasn't underthrown a player – Bounce the ball. Never said that once. I, 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 he missed two throws on Sunday night. But I'm not just talking about Sunday. But there's two missed throws on Sunday. I'm talking about through 12 to 13 weeks of the season, Tom Brady, he's had two, two really, like the picks that always stick out to me are in the red zone when he's rolling out to his right and he throws a duck right to his Well, we got to ask, back. why is he being asked to roll out of the pocket? That's not his style. And why is he being asked to roll out of the pocket? It's because the offensive line can't protect. Yeah. It's a if bigger it's not, issue of the offense if itself. If it's not his style, then why is Josh McDaniel? That's a better question. That's a better question. That's a better question. Because this offensive line, yeah, at the eye test, it's bad. But when you look at the stats of the sack rate, adjusted sack rate, quarterback pressures, quarterback hits, in pass protection, they're six out of 32 teams. Mm -hmm. So some of these, yeah, there is plenty of blame to go around. From Edelman to Nikhil Harry to Jacoby Myers to insert tight end here, but you have to put some blame on Tom Brady with some of these throws that he's making of underthrowing people, overthrowing people, or just... Bad throws and throwing interceptions. Well, He's that's that's a Trubisky stats. Well, that, well. Okay, well, that's two completely different statements there because you said you got to see some of these throws that he's making that are not accurate and not good and his offense sucks, but he's also as bad as Mitch Trubisky. Like, that's two completely different things right there. With the stats, you compare those to Mitch Trubisky, they are the same. They are the same since week four. And Mitch so Trubisky, what you're saying is you rather have Mitch Trubisky over Tom Brady. I mean, you said the statement, if a sub-elite uh, sub player in this offense, you would have a below 500 You would. I, 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 I firmly believe that if Tom Brady wasn't on this offense with the experience that he has to make sure he gets the ball away as much as possible, I believe this team would be 500 at, at best. But with that statement, you could drop Mitchell Trubisky in there and in theory have the same record with this defense. I don't buy that one bet. I don't buy that one bet. Absolutely with that, not. Oh, with that statement you had, I don't you buy that do one that. bet. I think that's just another hate-filled comment on go. Brady. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And that's just... What, that's the just, numbers at are the, at the, okay. The at the end of the day, at the end of the day, on national TV, we saw no wide receivers could get open. There is this aura about Tom Brady. Obviously, I get it. Listen, you win six Super Bowls. There's a lot of jealousy resentment. You just yeah, wanted to go away. Jay, they weren't but even getting open. Stop. They weren't even getting open in Baltimore. And in Baltimore, he was bouncing the ball in the dirt to to Julian Edelman across the middle. He was throwing it a, a couple of steps ahead of Julian Edelman across the middle. So there But you just started be... that sentence saying they weren't getting open in Baltimore, right? Yeah, but that's even Julian Edelman, the one guy... If so then, what back... are we talking about? Then we're, This is a bigger issue of the offense being bad, not just Tom Brady being bad. Right. But listen, the, the thing, Julian Edelman has been bad. Tom Brady's been bad. And if you go back to the last episode, he had this quote that he did not want to coach 
other players. He wants. He is a player. Of he course. doesn't want to deal with these yeah. young players. That's not his and job. And he's even having miscommunication issues on routes that are overthrowing Julian Edelman by a little bit. Not a whole lot, but just enough to have an incompletion on the guy that he feels comfortable with throwing the ball to. Mm-hmm. So at some point, I'm not putting all the blame of these these two losses and all the in, uh, ineptitude of this offensive unit on Tom Brady, but you have to put some blame on the quarterback. It's at the end of the day, they're still 10-2. and two. Um, Obviously, we see that the Chiefs are on the schedule and it's probably going to be a loss there as well. But I think after that loss, I had them going 13-3 and three at the end of the year. Um, and the way it looks like it's going to shake out, we're going to end up 13-3 and three with the number two seed. So I get it. It's an up-and-down year. Um, but we're still in a really good position to get to the playoffs and hopefully make a playoff run. Now, I in the in the last, last year as well, I did not believe we were going to go into Arrowhead and actually win. But I was proven wrong. I didn't think we were going to win against that um, Rams defense in the Super Bowl, but I was proven wrong again. So as Skip Ellis always says on his show, the one person you don't bet against is Tom Brady, and I am not going to bet against him. I think, still think we're going to make the Super Bowl as, uh, as a predicted before the season started. Well, we shall see. The AFC landscape is getting interesting. And the, uh, the last point I got, going to talk about, going to be a little bit of a homer here. Going to talk about my Miami Dolphins. Over the last five games... They've been 3-2. and two. They've had signs of life. This team is starting to click a little bit here. Uh, Devontae Parker, uh, last week against the Philadelphia Eagles, he's had his career best game. Seven receptions, 159 yards, two touchdowns on 10 targets, and he's under contract through next season. Uh, well, actually through until 2021, then he's an unrestricted free agent. Uh, but everybody seems to be clicking. I mean, they've been, they've been the butt of a bunch of people's jokes. But this team has been playing hard every single game for Coach uh, Coach Flores, Coach Flo, and the fans, myself, uh, everybody down at Slattery's, you know, my boy Billy over there. Uh, they seem to be buying into what the, the Miami Dolphins want to do, which is to finally address the fact that we need to tear it down, go down the studs, get some good character guys. And Brian Flores has, has done a hell of a job with the, with the people he has to, to work with. And I know he's not – it, it'd be crazy for me to say that he wins coach of the year, but with what he's doing, he he should be getting a coach of the year vote or two with what he has down in South Beach. And I think, you know, they're on the right track with what they're trying to do uh, in the upcoming, uh, upcoming drafts with all the draft capital that they have. And, you know, just this is my take here. But just based on some of the reports that are, have been coming out over the last couple of weeks, especially leading up into the Philadelphia Eagles game, uh, specifically with Josh Rosen, that you know he's been making strides in practice. Uh, he's getting a better grip of the playbook. Uh, he really imitated Carson Wentz well as a scout team guy. I think what I would do if I was you know Chris Greer in the draft, I would either go after a defensive player or an offensive lineman and not worry about the quarterback class until Trevor Lawrence comes out and see what you have with Josh Rosen next year because. Everything you have, you have the cards to play with. You know, you you have you have you know a couple of face cards. I'm not saying you got pocket aces, but you you got a couple of face cards that have been dealt your way, so you can cash in with those to win the you know the win the big pot. And I think they're playing with house money right now with their draft picks, and I, I really think that they're onto something something good here to provide Dolphin fans like myself a little bit of glimmer of hope moving forward in the coming years. Dude, I, I can't believe they're winning games, man. Like, uh, you would think the uh, the conventional wisdom would be just to kind of, you know, lose out and figure out what the best draft position is. But I think right now they're playing themselves out of Chase Young, you right. know? 
And I get the coaches don't want to go into a game saying they're going to lose, they're going to tank. But here's, it's just, here's the thing, too, is, you know, with, with Flores, he comes – He's a prideful guy. He, yeah. he grew up well, hard. Well, I, I think most coaches don't want to lose football games. They'll go into games thinking they can win. Right. But in the back of my mind, you got to know a little bit and of the coming, overall. And he's coming from the Bill Belichick school of, of coaching as well, too. And at some point, and I, I think this is why the Cincinnati Bengals finally went back to Andy Dalton as quarterback, is, you know, if you're a first-year head coach and you're, tra- you're, you're riding your players like, Chris, uh, like uh, Coach Flo is, in order to do that, you need to see results. And if you, you're riding your players hard and you you keep going out there taking an L, you're going to lose the locker room. So they have – say if they keep winning out, they have the draft capital to trade up yeah. to get a Chase Young if they wanted to. But they have all these – they have these face cards that they can play with come the draft in, uh, you know, in 2020. Yeah. And I think they're, they're laying the foundation. And <laughs> uh, Christian Wilkins – is a character. If you go back after after listening to this episode, if you go to YouTube and you you check out that trick play, probably one of the, the greatest trick plays. That was pretty ever, impressive. Short of that the Super Bowl, episode, yeah. uh, the the Philly special. Um, at the end of the at the end of the play, you got Christian Wilkins and he's kind of pointing to everybody on the Philadelphia yeah. Eagles, just pointing at him, laughing. And yeah. that, that like I said uh, a couple of couple of months ago when they, we drafted. Christian Wilkins, this is a guy that has the potential to be the face of the franchise, like a Jason Taylor, a Zach Taylor, you know, definitely a cornerstone uh, to build around, and he, he's a character and a half. So I'm glad we got him on our team, and the future's bright for for the Finns fans. So I'm excited. Who would, uh, in a perfect world next year, who would who would you want them to draft? You want Trevor Lawrence as a quarterback? Is that what you want? Ne- uh, so next year, 2020, I would rather I would either have them. Take Chase Young or uh, go after an offensive lineman. Mm, okay. um, I don't know who like the hot offensive lineman is. But, I don't know either right now. This know, is way too early for draft analysis. But uh, definitely someone in the offensive line because it doesn't matter who you draft back there. If it's Trevor Lawrence, if it's Tua, if it's Joe Burrow, if it's you know uh, Jordan Love out of Utah State. If there's no offensive line to protect this guy, nobody's going to succeed. So you you need to build. You can't go. You can't do what the Cleveland Browns have done and address every position on the football field except for the the trenches. You need to start from the lines and work yourself out. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Cool, cool. Uh, any other storylines for? Uh... We, no, that one's it. Cool. Uh, we're 45 minutes in, and <laughs> we'll get Fuck to. It. We'll we get to. When we freaking finish. We'll <laughs> get to our uh, week 14 storyline. Is that correct? Yeah. Dude, I, I'm just trying to get sad, bro. We got four more weeks of uh, NFL football regular season, and then it's in the playoffs. And next thing you know, football will be over. Oh yes. Oh, you know what? I forgot. Crimea uh, River. I forgot about the NFC East. Real quick, mm-hmm. nobody wants let's, to win that goddamn let's, division. Let's let's roll that into this uh, this next segment about the Cowboys and the Bears because we're talking about the Cowboys anyways, right? Right. So let's have you start off with the NFC uh, NFC least and how nobody wants to win that. Yeah. So speaking of which, bad loss for the Eagles, by the way. No doubt. Oh my God. So Thursday night football has the uh, the Cowboys going up to Chicago, up to Soldier Field to play the Chicago Bears, and uh, yeah, the Chicago Bears. The, 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 the Dallas Cowboys, rather, are, they're on some hard times right now. They uh, they lost to New England. Jerry Jones come out comes out firing brimstone. People were reading between the lines, thinking that Jason Garrett's on borrowed time. You think on paper, ah, they should have a layup against the Buffalo Bills. Come out, lay an egg. Yep. 
he Jerry, lost his job that night. Jerry Jones comes out crying in a press conference. He's crying in the locker room. Michael Bennett's yelling in the middle of a locker room saying we need to play with more heart. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles lay an egg last week as well, too. The Washington Redskins win. And the crazy thing is, is everybody in this division is playing the game of, I don't want it, you take it. No, I don't want it, you take it. Can we go ahead and say this is the worst division in the NF- in the, uh, in the the NFL this year? No shit. You know? Because a seven-win team could win this division. Like, a seven-and-nine-win team could win this division. The crazy Think about thing, that. The crazy scenario is the Washington Redskins could string four wins together. Oh, my God. And win the division if... The the Cowboys and Eagles lay an egg. They're play, they're they're a run heavy team under Bill Callahan, and three out of the four teams that they're playing the the uh, the Green Bay Packers, the New York Giants, and the Dallas Cowboys. One more time, they're all atrocious against the run. And Darius Geis is finding his legs finally after waiting a year and thirteen games. But back to Thursday night football. Jason Garrett and company. They need to they need to either believe in analytics or they don't. Like, but don't go for it on say like fourth and not fourth and two from your 19 yard line, and then when the game starts coming down to crunch time, when it's like fourth and five, and you have Ezekiel Elliott back there, and you decide to get cute and just punt the ball, like either stick to your guns or actually start buying into analytics, but don't be that coach that's like trying to appease Jerry Jones by thinking outside the box on the fly. Uh, they need to stick with the game plan, and they need to do what gets this offense going and that is feeding Ezekiel Elliott uh, against Buffalo in the first half he was he was dynamic in the offense he was involved in the pass game he was involved in the running game I think at one point uh, in the first half he was close to like almost 100 yards I think he ended the day at 100 yards but in the fourth quarter he only touched the ball two times yeah and Ezekiel yeah. Elliott you need to feed that guy the offense goes through him uh, so get him more involved uh, you do that, you open up the passing lanes for Michael Gallup and uh, Namari Cooper. Uh, the defense, they need, they need to step up big time. I know they're missing Leighton Vander Esch. He's going to miss this game. He could possibly miss the season uh, with a spinal stenosis uh, injury uh, in his neck. And it could potentially be career-threatening as well, too. So he's not playing this game, not playing anytime soon. Uh, and they should be able to step up and rebound as a defensive unit against the Chicago Bears offensive line. Uh, they're toward the bottom of the league in both run run blocking and pass protection, and uh, they should be able to pin their ears back, fluster Mitch Trubisky, have him make mistakes, and probably bring a pick six back to the house, in all honesty. Uh, on paper, that's what the Dallas Cowboys should be able to do. Uh, Amari Cooper and uh, Randall Cobb entered this game a little bit banged up. Uh, they should be able to play this week, uh, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, the Chicago side, Trubisky had a great game on, on Thanksgiving. I think he threw for like 300 yards and two touchdowns and had one pick. Uh, but it was the best game of the year so far for him. Uh, but I would look for Matt Nagy uh, to try to get uh, Allen Robinson and uh, Anthony Miller schemed open a little bit more against this defensive unit in the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Anthony Miller had a huge game last week. Nine receptions for 140 yards. Um, I think they, they're going to try to go back to the well with him, especially if Caleb Gabriel's not able to play. And Chuck Pagano, th- this is going to fall on you, buddy, because if you want to you, you cement a win at home, you have to do what the, the Buffalo Bills did and maul this offensive line. I think uh, Khalil Mack, he could have a bounce-back game. He's been pretty quiet this year. 
Uh, I think any, everybody on that defensive line should be able to go back, look at tape from what the Buffalo Bills did, and try to recreate that and, uh, and have, uh, have some luck in that end. Um, the Vegas over-under is 42 and a half. Uh, give me the over and give me Chicago at home. Uh, and Chicago is also a three-point oh, underdog in this oof. game. Oh, that's tough. Uh, so listen, the Thanksgiving loss, uh, 26-15, was rock bottom for the Jason Garrett era. Uh, I don't think I've, I've seen darker times in, in his old tenure. Um, it's got to suck, man, being a Cowboys fan, knowing you have some amazing talent, right, but you're still a mediocre middle-of-the-pack 6-6 six six team. And on top of that, the owner, Jerry Jones, he can't seem to see that his team is mediocre. And he's out there saying shit like, we're going to write the greatest story of all time and come back and win the Super Bowl. Where the fuck he was saying? Like, how can he be that illusional? Now, I will say that Jason Garrett lost his job on Thursday. With the national stage on Thanksgiving and all eyes on you after a pretty bad loss to the Patriots and all this heat coming at you for all week, you still have your guys come out flat and lose in a pretty in a blowout for a while, it was twenty six seven for a long time. That's considered a blowout in the NFL. They got a garbage touchdown late to kind of uh, bring it closer. But um, luckily, the Cowboys play in the NFC East and still have and still somehow managed to have the inside track on winning that division. Um, on the other end, the Bears, man, they had a win on Thanksgiving over the Lions, 24-20. Uh, Trubisky wasn't his bad self and managed to put together a fairly complete game, uh, ending with 338 yards, three touchdowns, and one INT. Um, now, I hope the Bears don't get swept up in this all-of-a-sudden optimism for Trubisky and somehow give him the job next year as well. Um, I still think he's a bad quarterback. Now, we really we really will know over the next four four games what Trubisky is made out of because the next four games for the Bears are murderers row. You got the Packers. I'm sorry, you got the Cowboys, the Packers, Chiefs, and Vikings. Uh, essentially, he's playing for his job at that point. Um, I can see them going 0-4 in that stretch or even 1-3, and, um, and I can see Trubisky not being the quarterback of the Bears next year. I somehow am buying into the Cowboys here for a route of 42-17. I think I think with all the shit going down and everything they're hearing about their coach, they gotta have some sort of pride, man. There's too too much talent on that roster just to kind of let all this shit come in their way, kind of have them come out another another flat game. You know what I'm saying? So, right. well, but maybe I'm asking for too much here again because I thought it was gonna happen against the fucking Bills the other well, week. Well, the crazy thing before we go into the next game is you know Jerry Jones did his usual radio spot, do impersonation, 105.3 The Fan down in Dallas, and they were talking about Jason Garrett and. You know, Jerry Jones comes out and says, you know, well, Jason, Jason's the right man for the job. We we, we like Jason. Why was he crying? We, you know, Why aren't you crying we, to we, imitate we've been, him? <laughs> we've, been through, we've been through a lot with Jason Garrett, Jay. But, you know, in my interview, I told 105.3, the fan down in Dallas, that Jason Garrett is the, the right man for the job. And I think that Jason Garrett is going to be a head coach in the NFL next year in 2020. Now, people can read that one of two ways. They can either read that more logically that Jason Garrett is going to be is not going to get a contract extension. At he's the not. They're going to let him walk, bro. He's not going to get a contract extension. He's going to fu- he's going to hook on with another team. Uh, Ian Rappaport last. I heard the Giants name quite a couple reported times. Reported that the the New York Giants. But on, off that report, uh, somebody else reported that only uh, the Jason Garrett camp thinks the Giants are right. a potential landing spot. So right. whatever the fuck that means. Well, yeah, it's a silly season. But they also, you could think conspiracy theory-wise that Jerry Jones may just want to keep a puppet around just to pull the strings and might yeah. be crazy enough 
to have Jason Garrett come well, back. Listen, and head puppets coach the never team. work in the NFL, and I don't understand how these owners are or GMs are so delusional, thinking they can control a head coach. You man, see? think about what's happening with uh, with uh, Dorsey up in Cleveland. How he wanted Freddie Kitchen as his puppet. See how that's working out right now. Right, but but with Jerry Jones, yeah, I went for past him. He is fucking delusional. Jimmy Johnson, when they won those three Super Bowls, he was the head coach. He was yeah. the general manager. He was He's getting all the all love, the all the love. And Jerry Jones was the guy just hanging out, drinking sweet tea up in the press box. Yeah. And he wasn't a fan of that anymore. Yeah. And he kicked Jimmy Johnson out of there. Why doesn't pull... he just come down and coach the fucking team at this point? Yeah, he could pull a Ted Turner with the What's Atlanta Braves when he bought it. Oh but God. that's why I think some people, it, it's kind of, it's not that far beyond the realm of possibility that Jerry might be crazy enough to bring him back just to have some guy to say, yeah. do, do as I say. Yeah. All right, uh, next up, Ravens versus the Bills, man. Welcome to the top, the Baltimore Ravens. We all saw this coming for the last few weeks, but they are officially number one in all the power rankings after they beat the 49ers 20-17. to um, Over the past two months, the Ravens have demolished some of the best teams in the NFL. Um, their 10-2 records has wins over San Fran, Seattle, New England, Houston, L.A., and they're hands down the best football team in the NFL right now. And they beat beat the 49ers in an unconventional way on Sunday. It wasn't their normal come out and throw up a million points and just overwhelm other teams. This is a torrential downpour for most of the game um, and the 49ers were still no match for, for the for the Ravens. Uh, the defense played really well as well and never let the 49ers get into a good rhythm. Uh, Lamar Jackson himself finished with 105 yards, one touchdown, but also added another 101 yards on the ground and another touchdown. Um, but, uh, and right now I think Lamar Jackson is the runaway MVP. I know last night Russell Wilson had a great game, so um, but I, I, I think Lamar Jackson is a runaway MVP. Um, on the other end, man, we talk about the Buffalo Bills quite heavily. Um, I believe I still need to see a little bit more from them um, before I can give them their uh, their love that they deserve. Um, I believe this is a big game for them to go uh, to actually uh, gain some credibility. Um, I still... I still am not sold, um, and that's why I'm going to take the Ravens 45-17 here in a blowout as well. Right, all right. Uh, Buffalo side, they just you know they just need to keep uh, state discipline in containment. That was one of the bigger issues with the with the 49ers game was sometimes they they would break containment and Lamar Jackson would just you know slash him and you know, slash him up uh, with his legs and uh, and was able to I think he rushed for like 100 yards in that game as well too. Um, so they have to be disciplined in containment. Uh, they have a fast, dynamic defensive line with, uh, you know, with Ed Oliver back there. So they just have to maintain discipline. Uh, and I think for the Buffalo side, they have to keep Singletary involved. Over the last few weeks, he's been explosive. He's had 100 total uh, scrimmage yards over, uh, you know, each game uh, over the last two weeks. And they, they definitely have to keep him more involved, especially uh, against – this uh, Baltimore defense, which is pretty stout against the rush, uh, so they're gonna have to find ways to get the ball in his hands, and you know maybe have uh, Frank Gore try to you know bruise these guys between the tackles uh, and run defense. They have to sh Buffalo has to show up the run defense. They did it last week, but one of their Achilles heels uh, throughout the the earlier part of the season, up until they played Dallas, was you could beat these guys on the ground if they're able to you know halt the run game a little bit and give this ball hawking defense a bit of a chance and make Lamar throw and see see what he can do. We know Lamar can throw the ball. He's accurate. But what's going to happen when Tredavious White is lined up on a couple of these number ones, even if, even if that's Mark Andrews at tight end? Uh, you know, Tredavious White is one of the best corners in the league. Uh, so definitely put this kid to the test. The Baltimore side is going to be interesting to see 
uh, how the uh, the offensive line continues to play. Uh, their starting center missed last week against San Francisco. Matt Sucra, he's down for the rest of the year with a knee injury. They had an undrafted rookie, uh, Patrick uh, Macari. He he did pretty good uh, last week against San Francisco. He's going to be put to the test again against this, uh, this defensive line for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, and this secondary... Josh Allen's been smart with the football over the last seven or eight weeks. Uh, he hasn't had a turnover. Um, so this ball hockey defense, they're going to have to, you know, create pressure and generate turnovers. And I've been on the record for the last couple of weeks saying that Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters is one of the better or best uh, corner tandems in the league. And the Baltimore Ravens have been the big winner of the trade deadline when they got Marcus Peters essentially on the cheap. So with all that being said... Uh, the over under this game is 43 and a half. Give me the over, but give me Buffalo at home. Buffalo was five and a half point dogs. In this oh game. my but God. I think, I, I think what we're seeing with Josh Allen, those strides that he's been making, they, they haven't been a fluke. He's had multiple touchdowns uh, through the last seven weeks. That's the first time any Buffalo Bills done that since uh, Jim Kelly in 1993. You know, this defense is, is, you know, one of the elite ones in the league. And I think that they have a chance to, to hold the Baltimore Ravens, uh, hold them down, and, and latch W on their belt. Dude, if the Bills uh, Bills win that game on Sunday, Bills Mafia is going to burn Buffalo to the fucking ground, man. Mm-hmm. That's going to be insane. My God. And, and I'll tell you what, but the whole Ravens thing, man, I'm so fascinated by what's happening that the NFL can't seem to figure these guys out. Listen, at some day, it's going to happen. The NFL figures out who you are. Yeah. Someday they're going to figure out. It might not be this year. It might be next year. But I really want to see what's going to happen afterwards. What's going to happen? How is Lamar going to adjust to that? How is he going to is he going to take that leap and become that elite quarterback from the pocket? Or is he going to regress back to that three-intercept, three-completion guy from the Chargers game well, last year, you know? If you look back at the Chargers game, granted, this was his rookie year, but this has been brought up a lot of times, specifically by John Breach of CBS Sports, that in that Chargers game, the Chargers played like eight defensive backs mm-hmm. in that on that defense, mm-hmm. and they shut down those, yep. those running lanes yep. and made him try to throw, and he couldn't throw so the football. So one of the things so that that they would have the stones to put like eight DBs back there. Well, the well, thing. the Patriots did that. I'm sorry, the Texans did that Sunday night against the Patriots. They put eight uh, eight defensive uh, uh, backs on the field and just played like that for the most of the game. Now. The thing with the the Ravens' offenses, and I've heard a couple players in the post-game interviews saying stuff like, we didn't know where the ball was. They do such a good job of disguising their plays, of of having this trickery in the backfield where defenders don't really know where the ball is going. And that few seconds of instability and not knowing where the ball is is all you really need for mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson to blow by you. Now, their offense itself, at the core of it, it's a 60% of their offense, maybe 65%, is just a heavy um, zone-running college spread offense. You know what I'm saying? Where it's a lot of, you know, either give it to the core, uh, running back, right? keep it, or run pass option. There's a lot of concepts from college in there. I think where the NFL is getting tripped up right now is a just lamar jackson speed but b they they haven't seen enough film and figured out the intricacies of greg roman's defense of where the ball is going that's the biggest thing they can't seem to figure out is where's the ball right now mm-hmm. uh okay next up uh 49ers versus saints uh big game big game i mean 49ers went from first oh, to fifth. oh that's one of my points man <laughs> so the 49ers hung in tough for a while versus the the ravens uh, but ultimately, they couldn't make big plays in the second half, and the accuracy of the Baltimore kicker, Justin Tucker, just did them in. Um, the loss of Ravens uh, and the Seattle win last night drops San Fran from first 
all the way down to fifth. That's a massive swing, man. The NFC is so competitive, it's unreal right now. Um, and it's not going to get any easier because they got the Saints coming up next in the Dome. Um, the Saints themselves won 26-18 uh, over the Falcons on Thanksgiving evening. Um, they didn't play their cleanest game, but executed well enough to clinch a playoff spot um, and win the NFC South Championship. Um, the defense played really well as well against Atlanta. Cam Jordan led the charge, finishing with four sacks. He's up to 13.5 sacks for the year, and he's going to try to um, tie the team record with 17 in the last four weeks. And I think he can get it. Uh, now, the Saints, uh, after their win uh, over the NFC South, have to, turn to, have to turn their attention to the number one seed, and a win over the 49ers will be a great start in getting that number one seed. I got the Saints winning 35-28 at home in the Thunderdome. All right, all right. Well, uh... For the 49ers side, through you know, with their two losses to um, to the Ravens and to the uh, to the Seattle Seahawks, I still think that they've shown that they are a legitimate Super Bowl contender even through those two losses. They played hard throughout the entire time. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has been smarter with the ball, with you know, with the interceptions and, and cutting down on the, the the fumbles as well too. Um, so I think. This is going to be definitely a big test for him against this defense. Uh, the, the offensive line is going to be tested as well, too, uh, especially with what you said about the Saints and their performance against the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Debo Samuel, I think he could be possibly the X factor in this game. You have to figure that Marshawn Ladmore is more than likely going to be lining up on Emmanuel Sanders, and somebody has to be covering, one of their, their top corners has to be covering George Kittle, so that either leaves Eli Apple on on Debo Samuel or some other cornerback. And if it's Eli Apple, Eli Apple had two crucial defensive passing interference calls uh, against them uh, when he covered Calvin Ridley. And I think Debo Samuel could have a big game uh, in, this, uh, in, in this matchup. He's tied for the lead in, uh, amongst rookie wide receivers in receiving, uh, and I, I think he could go off in this game, especially against Eli Apple. And the rushing game for the San Francisco 49ers, you know, in real football, it's great. You have four capable running backs carrying the ball. Fantasy football, you want to rip your fucking hair out because you don't know who to start. But either way, I think with Matt Breida coming back into the mix, but you got Breida, you got Tevin Coleman, Raheem Mostert, and uh, Justin Wilson Jr., they're going to have an uphill battle against this New Orleans Saints rush defense, this third in the league. Uh, but they, they're going to need to get something going, especially on the road, take the crowd out of this. Uh, the New Orleans side, the only thing I got is they need to get Kamara going. Like, you can't have Drew Brees hucking back, throwing the ball 35 times. And even, he, I think he only threw the ball like 20 times last week against the Falcons. Yeah. But they're all underneath. The couple of times he took shots at the 20, you know, beyond 20 yards. Every, he was like 0 for 5 when he took shots at the, you know, beyond 20 yards down the field. They need to get Kamara involved. And funny enough, the San Francisco rush defense is 22nd out of 32 teams uh, in defending the run. So you get Kamara going, you get Lat Murray going. That should help big time in this game. Uh, the over-under is 44. Uh, give me the over, but give me San Francisco on the road. The 49ers are three-point dogs, but I, I kind of have more faith in Jimmy G throwing the ball down the field than than Drew Brees right now, in, in all honesty. And I think it's going to take a – I think a big play to Debo Samuel is going to be the deciding factor in this. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, next up, Chief versus the Patriots. Uh, we talk about the Patriots ad nauseum, so in the interest of time, uh, you know how we feel. So in regards to the Chiefs on – 
on their uh, on their end of the bargain here. The Chiefs had a massive blowout win um, of the Raiders on Sunday night, which was 40 to nine, I believe, was the final score. But it was probably one of the weirdest blowouts of all time, just because Mahomes only threw for 175 yards, Darwin Thompson ran for 44 rush yards, and the Raiders outgained the Chiefs 332 to 259. So it's kind of weird when you outgain another team offensively, but you lose by by 31 fucking points. Um, and the simple truth is, the Chiefs played a really clean game, but the Raiders did not. They're very turnover prone. They had three they had three turnovers. 12 penalties for 99 yards. Um, and it's a simple case of the Chiefs are a good team and the Raiders are a classic middle-of-the-pack team, man. Um, the Raiders, man, I, I kind of bought into them for a couple weeks, man, just because, you know, they give you some hope one week, they start winning, yeah, and, they fucking lose to the, and they fucking lose to the Jets and they get absolutely embarrassed against the fucking um, Chiefs. Um, but, yeah, win for the Chiefs uh, against the Raiders all but locks up for the AFC West. Um, now they got to start looking into where the seating is going to be. Um, this game against the, the, the Patriots is big for that seating the playoffs i originally had the patriots losing this game and i still believe they will um but like i said earlier this is definitely not the end for the patriots by a long shot kansas city 24 21 all right uh yeah the, the the kansas city side of the ball uh the, the offense seems to be clicking uh, especially since that monday night football game uh down in mexico city uh the, the offense seems to be clicking as a whole uh, granted mahomes hasn't been lighting up the stat sheet the last two weeks but he's been doing enough to you know, to not make crazy, stupid mistakes and play hero ball that much. Um, I think Tyree Kill, he's coming back from uh, a hamstring issue. I think he only had like four receptions for 53 yards against that uh, that Raiders blowout. But you have to figure he's going to be on Stephon Gilmore. He'll get the, the the Gilmore treatment, but they'll probably try to bracket this guy to contain his speed. But you still have Nicole Hardman and Demarius Robinson outside. That are, that are fast, and even Travis Kelsey coming out from tight end is can run down the field as well, too. So this this vaunted defense for the New England Patriots, you know, they're going to have their hands full a little bit uh, with these speedsters uh, streaking across the field. And uh, another defensive key to this game, I'm going to talk about another, uh, another coach, is, is going to be Steve Spagnuolo. This defense have been, has been playing better as of late. They're, they're not... They're not great, but they have been the bend but don't break model a little bit since that Kansas City, uh, the uh, Monday Night Football game, rather. Uh, and Spagnuolo has experience going against Tom Brady and coming up with uh, crazy blitz packages. And I think the kitchen sink is going to be thrown at this offensive line and Tom Brady uh, this uh, this Sunday on the road in, in New England. Uh, the over-under in this game, what's this, uh, 48 and a half. Uh, pfft, give me the over. Uh, give me Kansas City on the road as well, too. I don't know what the point spread is. I think the spread's about three points. That that seems more realistic. Uh, but, yeah, give me Kansas City on the road. Nice, nice. Okay, next up we have the Seahawks versus the Rams, man. A pretty good game as well. Now, watching the Rams on Sunday was taking a trip back in the time machine, man, to the days of, yet, of last year. Yeah, Arizona will remedy all, all ills. I know, right? Uh, of the Rams with the old high-flying Rams from last year, man. The, and Goff himself um, had a really good game with 424 yards, two touchdowns, and an 85 QBR. Robert Woods showed up big as well with 172 yards on 13 catches, and Gurley added another 115 yards of offense. This was the perfect get-right game after the Ravens embarrassed them last Monday Night Football. Last week on my football. Now, the big question is, will this be a springboard uh, to a playoff run or is just the win over a bad team? Um, this week's game versus the Seahawks will tell us a lot about what this Rams team is all about, especially it being home. Uh, Seattle won, on the other hand, Seattle won last night, 37-30 uh, of the Vikings in my football. And I wonder how my buddy Aaron, the Vikings fan, is doing today. You know what? I'll say this. 
Aaron, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you real quick. That was a great game last night. And yeah, Kirk Cousins is what, 0 for 8 on Monday Night Football? Yeah. But he, like, he almost brought him back. He did? It wasn't he did. like he laid he an egg from the get-go. That yeah. was down to the wire yeah. in a fluky interception. So I'm not putting that whole loss on... On, uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not either. So it's funny because last time I started watching this game, man, I believe it was 10-0 off the jump right or something like that. Yeah. The Vikings got up. They came up quick. I fell asleep, no lie. <laughs> I wow. woke up. I woke up, and then all of a sudden it was like 24 to like 10 or 17, whatever it was. Like the Seahawks were up by like quite a bit. Um, and then I see the score this morning, and it was like a final of only seven points. I'm like, oh my god, this is a kind yeah. of kind of back and forth in that game. But I was just super tired, and and unlike the West Coast, it's fucking midnight here when these games are going yeah. on, right? Um, on the Seahawks side, man, last night I think they're trying to find a really good um, one-two punch with Carson and Penny. Uh, Penny seems to really have kind of carved himself a nice little role um, in that uh, running game. Now my biggest issue is man, Carson just fumbled so much. Obviously he didn't last night, but my god, it's gonna come back to bite them down the road. Um, the Seahawks are sitting pretty at 10-2 and two and in the lead uh, of the NFC West. I still think the Rams are going to win this week, though, just because I think they're going to make a little bit of a run here and make some noise. Uh, 28-24 Rams. All right, all right. Yeah, just, uh, you, you know, you took my Seattle point. that They have a one-two punch with these two guys. Uh, I kind of cried in fantasy football because I have Chris Carson as uh, one of my starting running backs in the – in the office league, yeah, the office league, and I handcuffed him with uh, with with Penny. I had Penny on my bench at like twenty five points, and I had Chris Carson and uh, Dalvin Cook in my lineup. Cook goes out with an injury, and uh, you know Penny gets a, a gimme touchdown when Chris Carson checked out of the game, and I lost to Warren by seven points. So Oof. that was that was great for me. But in real life football. One of the best tandems in the backfield, uh, not named Mark Ingram and uh, Lamar Jackson. And I think Brian Schottenheimer, to the dismay of many Seahawks fans, is going to continue to force-feed the ball down people's throats, especially since nobody knows where Tyler Lockett is because he's on the field, but he hasn't done anything. Over the last four games, he has four receptions for 54 yards through the last four games. That's a typical stat line in one game, but that's over four. He's been nowhere to be found. Part of that's been he had the flu last week. He also had that scary ankle injury where they thought they were going to have to do some surgery to drain some blood out. So he's been dinged up in this, but it's not a good look, especially when he's been one of the, the more uh, capable deep threats uh, at wide receiver in the NFL. Uh, they've been relying more on uh, you know, DK Metcalf or Decaf Metcalf, as Joe Tessitore called him last night, and a couple other wide receivers. So they're just going to continue to run the ball down their throat. Uh, the the Rams side, they've been better a little bit uh, on defending the uh, the rush, uh, but I think they're just going to have uh, the ultimate test with these two guys. But Cooper Cup, I think he could have a big game. Uh, this isn't the, the Legion of Boom anymore. I think Cooper Cup could have a big game. Robert Woods went off last week against the Arizona Cardinals. I think he had like 150 plus receiving yards. He was a, he was a freaking beast last week. Uh, but I think they could recreate that this week against uh, this lackluster, uh, for a better term, secondary. That's the uh, the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, with all that being said, the over-under is 48. Uh, again, give me the over and give me the Rams at home. They're going to have to win out to, to keep their playoff hopes alive as a wild card team. And I, I think they start here. Nice, nice. Okay, cool. Uh, last game on Monday Football, Eagles versus Giants. Um, 
Oh my God, Eagles! <laughs> that was an unthinkable loss to the uh, Dolphins, man, on Sunday. Who at one point were leading 28-14 over the Finns. I, I thought at that point I thought it was over. Right, these guys are gonna pull away now, you know. Yep. Uh, but ultimately they lost 37-31. Um, now, Eagles needed this win to stay in the race for the N- NFC East, but I fear this might be over now, especially with the two-game lead at the 5-7 and seven and 6-6, six and six, right? Yeah. So I guess they're still there, but I don't see them beating the Cowboys, man. Um, Wentz had a productive day, and the offense seemed to show up, uh, but some critical failures such as drop passes, overthrown balls, you know, bad penalties, missed field goals really did them in the second half. Uh, even Doug Pearson said himself they kind of self-destructed, I believe, yesterday on radio. Yeah. The Dolphins wanted to win more than we did. Yeah. The biggest problem is, man, like this team with the Eagles, man, like uh, they're hard to believe in because they fix one problem, but another problem pops up all of a sudden, right? So it's just been a seesaw of emotions. And for the most part, Carson Wentz has been bad this uh, this year. As 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 much as we want to slice and dice it, he's been uh, he's been healthy on the field. Obviously, he has some wide receiver issues. But for the most part, man, th- he's not the Carson Wentz we've seen the last couple of years. Um, now the Giants, man. Um, if if the Eagles are bad, the Giants are even worse. Uh, they had an embarrassing loss of 31-13 to the Packers. Um, they are two and ten right now after eight straight losses, and this might be the worst I've seen the Giants in a long time. Uh, maybe our these are some really dark days for this franchise. Um, now a lot of blame will go around for this bad season, man. You know, including Dave Gettleman, uh, just being the, the choices that he's made in the draft. Pat Shermer will ultimately be the fall guy. I don't see him come back next year. Um, but in my eyes, the real reason the Giants are this bad is because of Daniel Jones. He is a very bad quarterback. Um, DJ finished Sunday with 240 yards, one touchdown, and three interceptions. This year, he has more turnovers and touchdowns. Uh, 21 turnovers with 11 INTs and 10 fumbles and 18 touchdowns. Um, and I'm seeing the same issues I saw in college, man. A lot of inaccurate throws, a lot of poor decision-making skills. Now, obviously, I'll make uh, I'll wait to make my final assessment by 18, 20 games in started. Um, but I don't see this kid improving much uh, to be an elite quarterback next year. Um I think at the end of the day, Eagles win a tight one, 21-17. And hopefully they can kind of uh, get back into the NFC East race with that win on on Monday night. Yeah, yeah, especially like the Giants side. Even Steve Tisch, he was interviewed today uh, saying that at the end of the season, uh, they're going to take everything under consideration and they want the Giants fans to feel like their voice is heard. I think at the end of the day, Pat Shermer is probably going to get canned. Uh, just because of you know how things have been playing out, uh, the offense hasn't been panning out. They're not really even using Saquon Barkley that much. So either that's he's more hurt than people are letting on, or it's just bad play calling. I don't think of, he should have come back that quickly from a high ankle sprain like that. Right. I'm kind of leaning more towards the injury myself, but uh, the 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 Giants side, you know, DJ just needs to be making better decisions with the football. Um, he, you know, he makes throws that are, you know, they, they, they're perfect throws in the end zone to Sterling Shepard or, or Darius Slayton a couple of weeks ago. And you're like, okay, like that's, that's a perfect throw. He's got the perfect arm. Uh, you know, everything seems to be coming as advertised. And then the next series, he'll throw it into, into double coverage. But, you know, I think this is a good spot for him to, to try to bounce back and keep the, the decision-making, you know, on the better side of things. Uh, the, the New York, the uh, the Philadelphia Eagles are just a complete gas can on defense. I mean, you, you know, when you're throwing for three touchdowns in, in Carson Wentz's case and, and you still lose to the lowly Miami Dolphins, you, you know, you got to start asking questions so about they're up how, how bad the, the defense is. Uh, so... 
I think Daniel Jones is in the right spot to bounce back, uh, going through the the rookie woes. Um, you know, at this rate, he's he's had about as much uh, as many interceptions and turnovers as Peyton Manning his rookie year, and you know he panned out okay. So we'll see what happens with Daniel Jones. Uh, uphill battle for Saquon Barkley. Like I said, they haven't been using him much. Uh, they're going to have to get him more involved in the pass game. Uh, the front four for the Eagles are, are stout against the run, but you know, have a linebacker covering him in pass, uh, passing games, I think it could be interesting for Saquon Barkley to, to try to get some momentum going. Uh, the defense, Jesus Christ, is it bad. Uh, Janoris Jenkins, he was chirping after the game against the Green Bay Packers, saying he wants to shadow people more. Uh, you know, all the all the top corners shadow the number one wide receivers. He was bitching at the, the defensive coordinator. And I'm going to be quite honest, I haven't seen anything from Janoris Jenkins to warrant him shadowing anybody because the defense has been that bad for the New York Giants. Uh, the Eagles side, God, the secondary just needs to cover somebody. I mean, the, 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 they've, been, they've been just a, a leaky faucet all season long. The wide receivers need to be able to catch a ball. I mean, Alshon Jeffrey, he went off last week against the Miami Dolphins. He had uh, nine receptions, 137 yards, and a touchdown. I think it's very doable for him to, uh, to recreate that stat line this week. Uh, with all that said, the over-under is 47. The defenses for both sides are atrocious, so give me the over. Uh, but give me, give me the New York Giants just with the heat that's been turned on. From upper management, I think Pat Sherman's going to have to open the playbook more uh, to, to try to save his job at this point. And I think I it's think, a lost cause. I think he's gone no matter what. Who knows, man? It's the Mara family. Yeah. Like, you know, who, who friggin' knows? Who knows? At this rate, all bets are off, especially this NFL season. And uh, I think Daniel Jones can have a, a decent day against this uh, this gas can of a secondary, the Philadelphia Eagles. So give the Giants at home. Nice, nice. Uh, okay, well, uh, an hour and 20 minutes in, <laughs> we have got to all of our content. For those of you still sticking around, we thank you and we appreciate the support. Uh, would you want to plug it up, uh, good sir? Yeah, so this episode can be found, along with our previous ones, on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, under Pro Football Radio, uh, Pro Football Radio Podcast. Uh, Facebook and Instagram is Pro Football Radio Podcast. Tw- uh, Twitter, at PFR Podcast. I'm on Twitter. Brando underscore Puma. Jay Chima's at Jay Chima. Uh, like, subscribe, download, share these episodes, follow us on social media. Check uh, check my weekly post out on Fridays for Fantasy Football, Fantasy Friday, last-minute waiver wire claims. We're now into the Fantasy Playoffs. It's time to win or go home. Uh, you don't want to be laying a goose egg in the first round of, uh, of the playoffs, so definitely check that out on Friday. It's normally out around 10 o'clock in the morning. And that's all I got Dude, for the plugs. I've been uh, I've been going home since week two of the playoff of the uh, fantasy football season. So your problem is like you you have a great draft, mm-hmm. and then you don't do anything on waivers. But I feel like that negates. Listen, like I think you shouldn't make any moves at least four to five weeks in. You want to give your your draft at least. You know, four to five weeks to see if they pan out or not. If you're making moves two weeks in, then you had a bad draft, you know? Right, but if, like, you're not dropping a starting guy in your lineup, like, yeah. the first two weeks. If you're going to make waiver wire moves, it's for, like, somebody on the bench. Like, mm. it's already sitting down there. So it's like, yeah, take a speculative ad. You know, shake your head all you want, man. You got you to be, be active. I just can't. You can't I wait just... till after you hit the iceberg because that didn't do <laughs> shit. Just look at the Titanic. And... 
you know, Freddy Soliotis, I'm playing you in the first round, AKA McMahon's Fire in Freddy Soliotis, Freddie, I'm on your team, brother, man. I'm rooting for nothing more than you to take down this jackass over here. That title's coming over with me. <laughs> team Freddy. Hashtag Team Freddy. Don't be mad, because you ain't making moves. Uh, all right, guys. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we appreciate every one of you guys. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.